open them with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse number 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. Now, we've been in this portion of Scripture now for a few weeks, and the longer we spend in a portion of Scripture, the more uh, things that we've covered that I sometimes feel compelled to review, but at some point that becomes where it's just nothing but reviewing. So um, I want to encourage you, uh, if you have not been available for all of these sessions, um, that you can access some free uh, video or audio, uh, hccnow.org, or you can ask us and we'll, we'll get you a, a CD, audio copy of this. It's free. We're not trying to sell you anything free of charge. All it'll cost you is a little time and, uh, and effort. Amen. But we're talking about some, some, some important things that I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is breathing into this family of faith, things that I want to make sure everyone has the opportunity, um, should you be able to give him that place in your life that you can access these teachings. And um, as a matter of fact, on last Sunday evening, we, we covered what I call some of the more historical aspects behind verse 9. And, and what that all really means to us today in light of things that were in Father God's heart back in the days of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. And uh, so I'm not going to try to review all that uh, this morning, but um, I think it's some things that will really help you and really be a blessing to you. And, um, and we want to get those uh, spiritual meals. Uh, when Matt and I were in college, we volunteered with an organization called Meals on Wheels. Amen. Um, where we would carry food to, to people who were in need, elderly people and things of that nature. And, and um, so this can be a spiritual meals on wheels. Amen. You can listen in your car when you drive and, and um, just allow the Lord. Listen, it's, I'm not trying to compliment my preaching. Anything from the Word of God would be better than talk radio and, and uh, amen, some of that secular music. Amen or oh me. All right, so let's... Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, are you there yet? Let's begin at, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. I actually turned to 2 Peter chapter 1. I don't know why I guess that, you know, reversal thing. So 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's begin in verse number 1. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and most evil speaking. Is that what it says? No, all... <laughs> All evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Let me, if I could, just point out that first word in verse 4, coming to him. Now, this is not you know, our Creator Father being stubborn, demanding that you come to Him. Remember, before He ever said, come to me, He came to you. Before Jesus ever said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Before He ever invited us to come to Him, the Bible says He came to us to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me, let me try to make that a little more down to earth, okay? He made the first move. And that's really significant seeing as how we wronged him. He didn't wrong us. He would have been perfectly within his right to say, look, you left me. If you want to come back, come on. But 
you know, I'm not, I'm not coming to you. I didn't leave you, you left me. No, no, we left him, but he came to find us. And so because Jesus came, this invitation now can be extended to every human being, right? And so we're coming to him. Come on now, we're coming to him. We didn't just come to church this morning. We, we came to him this morning. We came to the one who, who welcomed us here. We came to the one who provided this place. We came to the one who is the head of the church. And, and so it's, it's more about a mindset. It's, it's more about an attitude. Um, when he says coming to him as to a living stone, not, not some idol, not some, some God that's carved out of wood or stone or, or, or forged in, in metal, but we're coming to him as to a living stone. This living stone that, that Jesus is was rejected indeed by men, but the same, same stone, the same living stone rejected by men is the same stone that's been chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones. So there's a connection here. There's, there, there is commonality here. There, there is union here. Um, because we are born of his seed, if Jesus is a living stone, then we have become a partaker of his nature. This makes you, this makes me living stones also through the new birth. And so we're coming to him a living stone as living stones ourselves. And we're being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, right? So let me, again, if I could just simplify this, right? Um, Father's up to something here. Are you feeling me? Are you hearing me this morning? Father's up to something here. He's doing something here. He's building something here. He's putting something together here that, that, that is not just something temporary, not just something that's going to be one day shaken when the foundations of this world are shaken, but he's talking about a spiritual house, an eternal dwelling place, something that, that Father God is building, that it's taken, it's taken hundreds and now thousands of years, and it's still being built. Amen. Praise God. Uh, he's the master builder. And, and notice that we are now a part of this. We have now been brought into this. Father's business is our business. It's not just that he's up to something. He's up to something and we're in the middle of what he's up to. We are vital pieces. We are important components. We, we are, we could say it this way, building materials. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been, you know, like working on a project, trying to build something or put something together. Maybe you're assembling something out of a box, Right. And, and there's missing pieces, you know, the stuff that you need, the screws that you need. The, uh, isn't it interesting, too? It's like that, that unique fastener, you know, that uh, you ain't got one anywhere in any drawer, uh, you know, whatsoever. It's, it's something unique to that, right? And, and you can't finish it. It can't be put together because there are, there are missing pieces. And, and so, you know, the devil always trying to tell us that we're insignificant, always trying to tell us that, that we don't count and that we don't matter and they can make it without us and so forth and so on. Well, if you've ever been trying to build something and haven't had all the materials, if you've ever been trying to put something together and you don't have what you need, some, you know, you're working on a project and, and you got to make that 14th trip to, to Lowe's because, you know, you, you, you need this or you need that, right? I want you to be reminded, amen, that Father is up to 
something. He's putting something together. He's building something. And you are a critical piece. You are an important part of this. Amen. And He wants you to have that understanding when you come to Him. He, he wants you to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Listen, people quote that passage out of Romans 12. Well, we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Do you realize that the average Christian hears that and think that God is telling them to think lowly of themselves? Notice that passage in Romans 12 is telling you, telling me to think highly of ourselves, just not more highly than we ought. He didn't say think lowly of yourself. He said think highly of yourself because you should think highly of yourself. You're important to our Heavenly Father. But to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And so the proper context unlocks the meaning there. To think more highly of yourself than you ought to think is to think that you can do what God's put you on this earth to do without without Father God and without other people, without other believers. Amen. Because we are members of the body of Christ. Uh, we are the body of Christ and members individually. So you have an important part in all this. And he's saying that we come to him with this understanding, with this, with this awareness, that he's the stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. You'll, in other words, you, you'll never regret it. That's one of the things, again, it's another lie that the enemy tries. You know, you're wasting your life going down there to that church. You're wasting your life trying to do right. You're wasting your life. Look at all the people in the world. They don't have any time for God, and they're making more money than you. Look at all the people that, that you know, blah, blah. See, again, the devil is, is lying to you. He's trying to tell you that at the end of your life, you're going to look back on your efforts to live for God with regret. With, with disappointment, that one day when you leave this life and move on to the next, that, that, that you're going to wish you would have spent more time living it up and enjoying life and not trying to put so much emphasis on God. Well, the devil's lying to you. He's saying that, that you'll never be put to shame. You'll never regret it, right? It's, it's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of exercise until I finish exercising. And then I'm like, man, I'm glad I did that. You know, I, in other words, I, I've never like really been super fired up about doing it. But when I push through that resistance and actually follow through on it, I never regret it. I'm always glad that I did. Are you understand what I'm saying? I'm always glad that I did. Take that times a thousand, times a million, right? There's coming a day, my brother and sister, when you're going to be so glad that you drug yourself out of bed on April 14th, 2019. You, there's going to be a day, right, that's going to, that you, you're going to realize, my goodness, I'm so thankful that I put that money in the offering. I'm so thankful that I, I invited somebody to church on Easter. I'm so glad that I got up early and attended that ladies' class, that Ephesians class. I'm so thankful. You see, right now, it, 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 it's, it, you know, in this life and being buffeted about by different things and situations that, you know, it's like, wow, you know. But uh, praise God, there's coming a day when when we will not regret the efforts that we've put towards living for our Father. Amen. It's therefore to you who believe. Amen. Therefore to you who believe. He is precious. Notice who said He was precious first. Father God said He was precious first. So notice when we believe, what is believing? Believing is agreeing with what God says. Remember, faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. 
And so God said He's precious. When you also say He's precious, you just aligned yourself with your Father Creator. Amen. Are you seeing this? He said He's precious. For people who reject Him, notice what they're doing. They're putting themselves in a place, in a position in life in opposition to their Creator. But when we say He is precious, He's precious to me also, you're aligning yourself with Father God. But to those who are disobedient, literally means those who are unwilling to be persuaded. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, meaning the one stone in the building from which every other stone finds its place. The placement of that stone determines the placement of every other piece in the building. And so when it comes to your own life, the place you give Jesus as, as either the chief cornerstone, precious and elect, or rejected like so many others, the place that you give Him in your life will determine your ability to find your place in Him and ultimately your place in life. Let's keep reading. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Do you, I know you're probably following along, some of you in your, in your own Bibles. I'm also putting these verses on the screen. Do you see how in verse 8 that a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense is in quotation marks? And of course what we see here is that the Apostle Peter is quoting from different Old Testament passages where all these things were first established through a prophetic word. All of this was spoken about Jesus and people's different responses to Him long before Jesus was, was ever formed in the womb of, of, of and it was before He ever left heaven and came to this earth as a man through the womb of, of Virgin Mary. And so we see that, you know, the, we're going to begin this morning to go back into the Old Testament and look at these prophetic words because obviously Peter is just quoting portions of this, referencing it. We can go back and I think even a bigger, uh, clearer picture uh, is painted there for us uh, by those Old Testament passages. So again, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, verse 8, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Come on now. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn with me now to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8. Old Testament, of course. Isaiah chapter 8. And um, it's after Psalms and Proverbs headed towards the New Testament. It's a big Big book, so as you just kind of thumb through, you'll find it there pretty quickly. Isaiah chapter 8, and, um, and we'll go with uh, verse number, let's begin at verse number 11. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 11. All right, now I'm going um, to read these first to you from the New King James Version. And then I'm going to read them to you again from the message translation. And the message translation, I think, really puts this on a shelf where we can all reach it. In other words, it, it, it breaks down, you know, the, the text in a way that we can uh, relate to it and connect with it and then hopefully draw some practical uh, wisdom and instructions from it. All right. So Isaiah chapter 8. And let's begin at verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying. So this is what the Lord said to him. 
Do not say, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Okay, look at me for a minute before we go any further. I know for a lot of folks you read this and this sounds like, man, this doesn't belong in the Bible. We're, we're not supposed to be afraid of God. Well, again, there's some things here that, that are really important for us to understand and it has to do with what the Bible teaches us about the fear of God, the fear of God. And one way to get us close to understanding what the fear of God actually is would, would be to think of it in terms of, of reverence, to think of it in terms of like really deep respect. Now, when I say think of it that way to get you close, the fear of the Lord is exactly what it says, the fear of the Lord, okay? In other words, I'm to respect Michael, but I'm not to fear him. Are you understand what I'm saying? So we can use terms like reverence or awe. You know, a lot of times we look at modern day explanations for the fear of God. We, we get that kind of terminology. But in reality, um, this is talking about the only valid place fear belongs. Amen. And that is in our fear of the Lord. Now, this really helped me when the Lord taught me this about the fear of God. Okay. And it's this, are you ready? The fear of God is not an emotion. It's not an emotion. It is an attitude. When we hear the word fear, we think of being frightened or scared or afraid. And this is not what this means. It's a completely different word from that in the Hebrew text. Okay. And so this is an attitude where we recognize, as a matter of fact, it's it's, a, it's really strongly connected to um, the subject we've been on since the beginning of this year. And that is giving our Creator Father, giving God the place He deserves in our lives. And we said you won't find that phrase in a modern day translation of the Bible, giving Him place. But what you will find are words like worship. Worship means recognizing who He is and who we are in relationship to Him. We'll also find uh, words like honor. Um, again, that is a, a word that is, is instructing us to, to you know, deliberately, intentionally give God the place of, of, of ownership, rulership, respect that he deserves in our lives. And, and the fear of God, again, is another one of these things. Now, what we're going to see here in just a moment, I want to talk to you for just a moment more about the fear of God, and then we'll move on to that. But we're going to see here in just a moment is that whatever you fear, you give place to over yourself, right? And so this is why the only place, this, this level, let's just say it this way if this will help you, this is why the only place this level of respect, um, you know, should be given is in relationship to God. Nothing else should be uh, uh, feared or respected to this extent, um, certainly not more than him. Um, so, but anything we fear, we take a position under. We automatically, uh, you know, place something we fear over ourselves. 
And so anything we fear other than God, any person or anything we fear other than God, um, we're giving a place uh, in our lives, you know, over ourselves, making ourselves subservient to that thing or that person. Are you hearing me? And so this is why, again, it's the only place that it belongs is to fear God. Now, one last thing, and that's this. Are you ready? The Bible says on a few different, in a few different places that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, all right? Now, I teach it this way at the foundry, and I'll, I'll kind of uh, give you a window into that world for a moment, but um, I usually stand on the floor in the chapel when I teach at the foundry, and behind me is a platform much like this one, and, and I usually tell those in the class, I said, this, this, think of this as a dock, okay, a boat dock, all right? And it's a dock uh, to an island, and the name of the island is the island where nothing ever changes, Okay. Amen. And there's a lot of folks get stuck on the island where nothing never changes. Amen. Anybody ever been there? Stuck on the island where nothing ever changes, right? Well, here's the thing about the island where nothing ever changes. There is always an airplane circling that island. Matter of fact, if you would just kind of hear the waves crashing on the shore uh, with me this morning, if you kind of smell that salty air and if you'll hear that plane, right, it's kind of something like this. Can you see it up there, right? That plane, right? Right, amen. See, that plane is come to rescue us from the island where nothing ever changes. Are you ready? All right. And if you look real close, that plane will get so close sometimes you can read what's written on it. It says the wisdom of God is written on that plane, right? You say, well, why don't that plane ever land so that we can get on it and get off this island where nothing ever changes? It's because the fear of God is the landing strip, Right? If there's no fear of God, if you don't have the right respect for Him, there's nowhere for His wisdom to land in your life. There's nowhere for Him to, to come and rescue you from that island where nothing ever changes. Are you following me, right? Now, there, there are some who think there's something magical about this or even mystical about this. You know, it's like, oh, we finally got the fear of God and now, um, you know, there's a place for the wisdom of God to land and, and, and get settled in our lives and start working. But really, it's, it's nothing mystical or magical at all right? Are you ever going to listen to somebody you don't respect? Are you ever going to let somebody tell you things you need to do in your life that don't make sense to you if you don't have uh, any kind of respect? Or, or if you, in other words, let me say it another way. If you think someone's a fool, <laughs> are, you, are you going to listen to anything they have to say, right? So remember, Father's words can't have a place in your life that you haven't given Him, nor can he have a place in your life that you haven't given his words. And so the fear of God is such an important aspect. We, we spent a few years ago, we spent almost an entire year teaching on this subject. It's one of the more important subjects that we find in all the word of God. But again, what we see with Isaiah is that he was being influenced by people around him who had more fear now, I'm going to do something here. I don't want you to think I'm messing with the Bible. I'm just going to say they had more fear for the Assyrians than they had for God. Or here, are you ready? They had more respect for the Assyrians than they had for God. Amen. And so that word conspiracy, it could also be translated confederation or, or the idea that we're trying to somehow, you know, negotiate our own salvation. And so he's saying to Isaiah, look, don't, 
don't get caught up in that. Are you hearing me this morning? He's saying, don't, don't get caught up in that. Why would he tell Isaiah? Isaiah is the man of God. I, we could even say it this way. Isaiah is the man. Are you understand what I'm saying? Why would, why would Father God be so strongly cautioning Isaiah to not get caught up in what was going on in, in, in his nation around him, right? It's because there was a very real threat that Isaiah would get caught up in those things. And in the same way that there's a very real threat that you and me, that, that you and I would get caught up in the things that are going on in our nation. Remember, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, so he's saying, look, you're giving too much respect to the enemy here and not enough respect to me. So the Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary. Come on, has anybody found this to be true? He will be as a sanctuary. He's talking about a safe place there. But a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. So notice he's saying that this rock, this stone, this chief cornerstone, to some he will be a refuge, a sanctuary. But the same stone that is a refuge and a sanctuary uh, to some will become a stumbling stone, a rock that other people trip over. Are you seeing this? I feel like the Holy Spirit's trying to give me some things along these lines, and it's, it's, it's my own, just haven't been still enough to put all this together. But, but part of this has to do with, we need to begin to see Jesus as the intersection of human history. In other words, it, I'm telling you, it, all roads lead to Him. All roads lead to Him. And, and you know, whether you see him as precious and elect or you see him as, as an annoyance and a nuisance, either way, all humanity will intersect at this one called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Amen. And who you say that he is, what each individual has determined about him will be the single determining factor for what happens from that point forward. It's already effective in our lives today. In other words, we're already benefiting from acknowledging Him ahead of time. We, we didn't wait until every knee bowed and every tongue is going to confess one day, right? We've already decided to bow our knee and to confess with our mouths that we believe in our heart that He is the Son of God and God the Father raised Him from the dead. In other words, we've already declared Him precious. We've already received him as a chief cornerstone in our lives. And I'm not here to beat anybody up this morning. We're learning. I'm learning what it means to give him that place in my life. I'm growing in that. I wish I could tell you that, I, you know, it's just a one-time decision. Okay, Jesus, you're my chief cornerstone. Let's go eat a hamburger. No, we're learning how to do this, right? And this is important. But we're already reaping the benefits in measure, right, in degree, 
Nothing compared to what it's going to be like on the other side one day. Amen. But all roads lead to him. All roads lead to him. So to some, he is that precious sanctuary. To others, he's a stumbling stone and they're actually offended. Who does he think he is? It's, it's the idea of he doesn't have any right to tell me what to do. He's, he's not the boss of me. This is Joseph's son. This is Mary's son. He, he, he's just one of us. He's like the rest of us, you know. That was their attitude towards him. Listen to this same portion of Scripture from the Message Translation. And just, I'll put it on the screen. Unless you have a Message Bible, it's kind of hard to follow along in a New King James Version with it. But listen to what he says. It says, God spoke strongly to me, grabbed me with both hands and warned me not to go along with this people. He said, don't be like this people always afraid somebody is plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. Wow. I'm going to come back to that verse. Let me keep reading. If you're going to worry, worry about the holy. Fear God of the angel armies. The holy can either be a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way. The rock standing in the willful way, willful way of both houses of Israel, a barbed wire fence preventing trespass to the citizens of Jerusalem. Many of them are going to run into that rock and get their bones broken, get tangled up in that barbed wire and not get free of it. I've said this a few times now in relationship to this study. Um, one of the things I remember my youth pastor saying when I was a teenager, he said, you can either view the Word of God as a prison to, to hold you back or as a fortress to protect you. And that's in essence what these verses are saying. That the sanctuary has a barbed wire security fence around it. But there are those who try to run from that. Don't fence me in. Don't hold me back. Don't keep me down, right? They try to run from that and they wind up running into that rock. It becomes an obstacle now. And they wind up getting tangled in the barbed wire. Are you seeing this? The barbed wire that was meant to protect. The rock that was meant to be a sanctuary has instead become offensive to them. Now, I'm almost out of time, so let me go back, if I could, real quick, like, to verse number 12 um, in the message translation. He says, don't be like this people, always afraid somebody is plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. Now, there is so much good news in that verse right there. Let's start with this. Are you ready? We're in this world, but we're not of it. As born-again believers, the Bible says that we've been born out of darkness, translated into the kingdom of light and life, the kingdom of, of Father God's own dear Son. 
And our citizenship is now in heaven. And that we're ambassadors representing our father's government, the government of our homeland. Amen. Our homeland is heaven. Our homeland is the government of God himself, and he is our king. Amen. And we are now, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, his ambassadors. We are representing him on foreign soil, the foreign soil of this earth, of this planet. And that we're here to do our father's business. We're here to go into all of this world, right? And proclaim the good news of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of our father. Amen. Are you hearing me? This is who we are. And notice that he says, first of all, the last phrase, don't take on their worries. We should not be worried about the things that people of this world are worried about. Those are their worries. Those are worries that are associated with their government. Those are worries that are associated with, with their leadership. Those are worries that are associated with, with, with uh, things that are out of their control that have to do with them. We, we're not in that government. Are you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not worried about what's going on in Iraq this morning. Are you understand what I'm saying? That's, that, I'm not, that's not my, I don't mean that I'm not concerned, but, but I'm not... I'm not fearful like someone who's living under that oppressive regime. Uh, the, the, the Christians in India, we should be praying for them. They, they have a leader now who is doing everything he can to try to stop Christianity. Amen. If I was preaching in India this morning, I would have to watch what I'm saying right now. Are you, are you understand, right? I, in other words, that I would have to be concerned about that. But... Listen, I'm not making light of it, but those are their worries. Those are not our worries as citizens of the United States of America. But in the same way, thank, I'm thankful for my, my, my homeland here in, in the United States of America. But I, I have a higher uh, birthright. I, I have a, a greater citizenry, citizenship than that. Amen. And so we should not, even when we look at the, the different things that are negative about our country and problems that are about our country. We should not be worried about these things. As long as the church is worried and taking on the worries of this nation, we're failing to give place to the one who sent us into this country to make a difference where those things are concerned. The church is the answer to the heroin epidemic. We're the answer to that. Are you understanding me? We represent the one who came to set the captives free. We're the answer to that. Oh, I'm so worried about this. I'm so quit taking on the world's worries. Don't don't take their worries as your own. Don't don't fear what they fear. Well, I'm just afraid that, you know, the lack of security in this country and the, and the borders are so porous and so many people are getting in this country. And they, See, again, we're, we're, we're fearing from a perspective of one who is a victim. We're not victims. We're the answers. We're the victors over these things. It's a mindset, right? It's an attitude, not of arrogance, but one of confidence. See, Isaiah was getting caught up in what was going on in, in his nation. And, and, and the alliances that were being made and the conspiracies and the plots and, 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 and all of these things. And, and, and notice, I love it, it says, God spoke strongly to me, grabbed me with both hands and warned me, don't go along with these people. 
Don't think like they think. Don't stalk, don't speak like they speak. Don't talk like they talk. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. Mm-mm-mm. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus said. And I'll finish right here. Thank you for being patient this morning. Matthew 5. Singers, musicians, you can come on. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you only love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. You say, but Pastor Mark, this passage is, is talking about Love, and you were just talking about fear, but what casts out all fear? Perfect love, the Bible says, casts out all fear. So here are two really practical, um, very important, but also very practical ways that there should be a difference between God's people and the world. The first one we see Jesus introduced to us in this Sermon on the Mount. That if we only love to the standard that this world loves to, what difference, what, what are we doing more than this world? Right? If we only speak to people who speak to us, if we're only kind to people who are kind to us, if, if we only have something nice to say to people who have something nice to say to us, what more are we doing to stand out? We should be loving people who don't necessarily love us. We should be speaking to people who don't speak to us first. We should be doing things for people who not only have never done anything kind for us, but don't even have the resources to do something kind for us. And the Bible says, by the love that we show and have for one another, all men will know who we are. And I believe the other side of that same coin in the sense that perfect love casts out all fear. We should also stand out in this world that we're not afraid of the things other people in this world are afraid of. That we're not worried about things that other people in this world are worried about. Because we don't have to be. We don't have to be. Amen? Amen. Because we're giving our Father the, that place in our lives. All right, stand with me. Praise God. Man, there's some other stuff here. There's some practical things. We'll get into it tonight. Are you getting anything out of this so far this morning? All right, let me pray for you. Father, thank you this morning. These beautiful men and women, thank you for the love, Lord, that you have for us. Thank you, Father, for the way you've transformed us. A radical, eternal, spiritual transformation, Father, that's continuing now in our minds and in our thinking. And ultimately, Father, in the way that we live our lives. Father, forgive us for taking on this world's fears, taking on this world's worries. Father, we're to be casting our care upon you, not taking up fear and worry that's not even ours to take up. Help us, Father, understand. Help us, Father, recognize that when we're fearing, we're giving place to something or someone other than you in our lives. And that kind of fear has torment. But Father, when we give you that place, that hallowed place in our lives, separate and above, all others and all other things. Then, Father, 
Are we free from any fear that would torment? Any place given that would bring harm or destruction to our lives and families? Father, we love you this morning. And we can say that because you loved us first. May a fresh revelation of your love for us, Father, root out any fear trying to cling and hold on in our lives. We thank you for it this morning, Lord. We thank you for it this morning, Lord. I want us to sing this together before we're dismissed. If you're here today and you'd like someone to pray with you, these altars are open. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe it's some situation with a family member. I don't know. Come, though, as they sing, if you'd like for us to pray with you. And then once we're done, we'll be dismissed.